What is going on, beautiful people? You could be doing anything with your time. Thank you for investing it with me. Welcome to the Life of Podcast. This is the space where everybody has a chance to be known. I am your host, Kason Wilson. And before we get started, please do me a favor. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. Please comment, rate, and subscribe. This does not cost you a thing. Just go ahead and do it. I'll give you a second. Go ahead. You done? Go subscribe. Just go check it out. It's a great podcast. Subscribe, rate, comment, all that good stuff. Thank you for being here. Obviously, this has been a a serious, serious week in our country and in our world and our community. Uh, We have a lot to talk about today. Um, But, uh, oh, and if you're not following me on social media, please check me out at The Life of K-A-Y. That's The Life of K-A-Y, not duh. The, T-H-E, The Life of K-A-Y. Uh, We have a lot to talk about. Before we get started, I have a special co-host who's been here, my quarantine buddy, my forever boo. Uh, Tiffany, what's up, babe? Hey, babe. You got to hold the mic up to you. (laughs) Good morning. Welcome to everybody. Yeah. How you feeling? Feeling good. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, been a long week. And uh, there's an obvious topic that we have to get to. But before we get there, um, I just want to say this. Um, everything with George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Do Matter. Let's just get that out the way. But I want to say this first. Because we've had such a communal experience, it's been an overwhelming um, experience for our country as a group, as a people. I think that there are a lot of people who have had individual battles that have kind of been... I don't want to say overshadowed, but they, they're not um, in the limelight right now as much. And I just want to say a quick shout out to everybody out there who is maybe probably struggling individually or have their own individual battles going on. I know it's really, really tough to have to take during this time. And there's a great priority um, being pushed out right now. But um, we see you. Uh, like, for instance, I have a cousin who... Um, had to bury both of her parents um, in the course of a month. Her mom and dad both passed. And um, she wasn't able to really eulogize them or bury them mm-hmm. like like you would want to honor somebody, uh, both your parents. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for, for graduates who weren't didn't have a chance to walk across the stage, I mean, I saw, I saw stories of people who were first-generation graduates who didn't get a chance to be celebrated the way that you would want to. Um, I know the conversation is going to be dominated by what is going on in the news, obviously, and rightfully so. Um, But I want to make sure that those people know that, you know, you are seen. And even people who are at home or who are lonely or lost their job or struggling financially, um, I know that um, it may not be the the front page story right now. But I just want you to know that people do care and we hear you. And if there's anybody around you that, that you can help, please, like, check on your friends. I know there's a lot going on. Everybody's super, you know into our front page story right now. But, uh, you know, check on check on people individually, man. You never know how much the people in your life actually need it. Absolutely. I mean, people are still struggling, even in the midst of um, the national news that we are witnessing and seeing almost a revolution happening. Um, people still have to deal with their day-to-day lives. So, you know, we need to look out for each other. We need to um, wrap our arms around virtually. Um, the people that we love and really yeah, don't touch um, <laughs> really not forget um, that people are in need right now um, in, in so many different ways. And, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, wow. All right. So a lot going on. Um, before we get to it, I want to say this, and I, I know you feel the same way. So I would love to hear I would love to hear your thoughts on it. I think what happens a lot of times is when something like a George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor happens um, in the public. I feel like there's like one day where everybody's like, you know, rest in peace. We need justice. And then the next day it's like, what are we going to do? We can't do nothing. We got to move. What's the next move? We got to mobilize. And I, I completely understand and agree. Um, but I think the, the thing that's different this time then last time is I'm actually giving myself a chance to grieve because this this actually really, really hurt. Um, yeah. Do you think that we give ourselves enough time to grieve 
our country and the positions that we're in? No, I think it's like this, um, we're stuck in sort of this dichotomy between wanting to feel what we're going through and and really, you know, go through that grieving process. Yeah. And at the same time, wanting to seize this moment and not wanting to relieve sort of the pressure that we've been placing on the system and on the larger society to respond and and um, create change out of this moment. So there's this like part of you that wants to move to action. And I also think part of that is driven by, you know, the more you feel like you know what to do and you know how to act, the more power you feel like you have. Yeah. Like it's almost like a powerless feeling when you are just sitting in that place of feeling and emotion. Um, so I think people are struggling with that. And the reality is the cycle of grief you sort of, if you see seen any um, pictures of what the cycle of grief looks like, you kind of vacillate between those two, between feeling and emotion and wanting to act and feeling powerful and then going back to that sense of like, what do I do? Just grieving the loss, right? And um, people might say, well, you didn't know George Floyd. What are you grieving about, right? Like, what's your grief? And it's really the grief of just feeling not valued because of your identification with George Floyd um, as an African-American man and woman. Um, so I think it's important to to do both. I think it's important to grieve and let yourself feel those things. Um, but I think for some people, moving to action is a part of them gaining back their power. Yeah. yeah. I just want to say that is your mic now because you've put so much lipstick on the head of that <laughs> mic. <laughs> you have now <laughs> identified which one is your microphone. All right. Um, you took this week kind of hard. I think you took it harder at first, but then I think it passed I mean, on we, to me. I mean, everybody took it hard, but yeah. I'm just saying, what was your what was your experience from like the beginning to the end? Um, I think it's just what we just what I just talked about that sense of first hopelessness, helplessness, shock, um, just hurt, just hurt over. I, I heard someone say this um, a couple of days ago in the in a conversation, and they were just like. I don't understand why they don't like us. I don't understand. And that seems like such an almost childhood-like thing to say. But like, that's really what is reflected in your heart. Like, what do we ever do to deserve this kind of treatment? You know what I mean? Um, And that's just a real emotion and a real feeling of just pain. And the sense that like, what can I do to change it? What can I do when, you know, we've done all that we've done over the last, you know, 450 years and this is still the the sort of the hand that we're dealt. Um, it's just deeply, deeply painful. Yeah. Um, and I think you have to let yourself cycle through that pain and grapple with that pain. Um, and I think it's important to express that pain. I think part of the problem we're in is that the world doesn't know outside of the black community, doesn't really get, doesn't really um, have to ever confront the depth of pain that it often is to live as an African-American in this country. Yeah. Um, so that's f- sort of where I went with it and was with it at first for several days. Probably spent several days crying randomly, you know, at different things that I was seeing on the news or, um, you know, just social media and just what I felt from um, from the circumstances. I did not watch the video. Still I, have not watched yeah, the I video. Yeah, I messed up and watched it. I didn't mess up, but it it, it hurt. Yeah, Definitely I just I couldn't put couldn't put myself through that. I felt it was traumatic knowing that it happened, and I didn't want to exacerbate that pain by watching it. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, like, just have been cycling through that, and that was sort of like the first place that I that I stopped. Yeah, and and mind you, by the end of this, we'll talk about what we believe some solutions can be, but um. I did want to just, I think sometimes we skip over the feeling of hurt. Yeah. And we move towards what's the next. And I, I, I absolutely believe the idea of let's mobilize, let's do what we have to do, let's, let's make it happen, let's do that is fine. But I, I think I've thought about this, and I, I think I said this earlier, I, I, um, like on another podcast, I think I'm treating this as like the death of a loved one and I'm allowing myself to go through the grieving process. Like it's traumatic. Mm -hmm. It's traumatic to feel that you are being hunted or being treated unfairly and there's nothing you can do about it. That even if there's a video of someone 
you know, killing you, that you can be on trial mm-hmm. in question. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a video. Yeah. It's that powerlessness. It's that sense of like, there's nothing that I can do. What can I do? The yeah. greatest, the greatest civil right development in the last 20 years has been the pixels of an iPhone. Like that <laughs> cell phone camera footage has been the greatest ally to the black community since the 90s. Yeah, I would even say before that, because even in, in the civil rights movement, it was the video on TV of, you know, dogs and um, fire hoses being sicked on peaceful protesters, African-American protesters, that actually was what pushed people to actually enact the civil rights law and um, all types of change that happened even back then. So I think that's always been, honestly and sadly, the greatest um, weapon we've had is the camera. Yeah. And, you know, it's a a tough one. And I, I, uh, again, we will get to what we believe we can do to move forward, Mm -hmm. but we just wanted to give space for people to actually share um, like how they're feeling, man. That's a, that's a tough, tough thing to, uh, to feel. And, uh, it hurts. And I, I'll tell you this, um, for those who know me, if you're listening to me, you're just getting to know me. Hi, um, Kason, I grew up in Jersey city, New Jersey, which is a predominantly African-American neighborhood. I grew up in a predominantly African-American church. I grew up in a church that was so black that if a white person walked in, we were all like, what is he doing here? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's so real. Um, so I, I didn't have the experience of growing up in a multicultural church where I was exposed to, you know, different ways of worshiping and different faiths and, you know, being seeing people, non-people of color every week. That just wasn't my experience. Mm-hmm. I did go, I did go to a multicultural school, mm-hmm. but I didn't go to a multicultural church. And that that culture is uh, real. And I think that there are a lot of people, there's a, a pain that I haven't experienced that I'm being exposed to, which is a lot of people, this is such a divisive issue that I think a lot of people are seeing people in their lives that they've grown up with in a different light. Mm-hmm. And even that is painful to learn the value systems of people that you thought you knew and then they may be a little different. Like I've seen countless examples of that online and then personally, I don't know if you... Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I my I grew up very opposite of you as we know um, in a church that was, um, the pastor was Puerto Rican and the, his wife was a, um, a white woman and the church was very, very... Um, racially mixed. It was probably half and half, half African-American or people of color and half white. Um, And, you know, we grew up very um, sort of all close and um, despite whatever race we were, you know, we had sleepovers together together and parties and um, we treated each other like family. Um, And so it is very painful to now see some of those same people that I knew as good, loving, caring people um, now who don't really get, understand, or support um, my community, what they see my community going through, or um, they think or believe that they can support our pain and be there for us and at the same time support people and movements that are against us. Yeah. It's painful. And I like, um, I had a conversation with someone that I've known since I was probably 10, nine or 10 years old who played a huge, a role in my life as a, as a, as a teen. Um, and I had a conversation with them just challenging them to really, um, not just sort of put out empty platitudes about, you know, we need to love each other, white and black people. We know that we know that we need to love each other, but, I was trying to voice that, you know, love demonstrates itself through action. And um, I got off that conversation with that person and literally cried like a baby because of just the pain of knowing that even people that you love and respect sometimes um, and have known your whole life may not be able to support and, and may not understand the pain that you're in. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. So if you're out there and that's you, like we see you, you know, much love. And I, I, let's, get, let's get to the solutions because I, I want to, 
I want to make sure we end this early. Our lives usually be like three hours long. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't want to do that to y'all today. Um, and I, I agree. It's very, very painful. And I agree with everything. I think everybody's right. Like, if you're hurt right now, that's I get it. And the people who are like, we got to mobilize. We got to do something about it. I completely agree. We have, we've been in the house and cried tears. And then we've also gone out protesting. So we believe that those two can coexist. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And I think everybody's grieving process is different. Some people I know for sure had a really hard time grappling with the idea of going out to protest. Mm -hmm. And I can't condemn those people or say that they're wrong because that's a traumatic thing to do. Mm -hmm. But then to some people who are like, yo, I'm ready. Yeah. Those protests were real. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was beautiful on the one hand to see people of all races. It was amazing to see so many white people voicing the words Black Lives Matter. Like there was something cathartic and powerful about that. I didn't know that many white people were that down with the cause. They, I knew that white people would be out there protesting, I guess. But they were really passionate. And I think some of that is that we live in California, which California, for those of you who don't know, have sort of a different, I would like to say, brand of white people out here. You think so? (laughs) I absolutely think so. Um, I think they tend to be more free thinking. They tend to be uh, more open to um, racial differences. That's been my experience, at least. Um, And so I wasn't as shocked because we're in California, but I was shocked at like the number of white people and Latinx people who were protesting really almost outnumbered the number of black people, which some of that is because, again, we're in California. Um, But it was still really beautiful. This is, yeah, many Mexicos. It was originally Mexico where we live. Americans got one movie theater. The rest (laughs) of it is Mexico. So we, um, we, I was not that shocked here, but I was still... Um, pleasantly, you know, amazed by it that that many people who were not black were literally screaming and voicing and having signs that said Black Lives Matter. They were angry. We were protesting and a, a white girl came up to me. She was like, Black Lives Matter. I was like, I know. Why are you telling me? Tell tell them. Don't yes. tell me. It was beautiful. It was, it was great. Um, so. And we, we, we went to, uh, for those who don't know, we also attended... Howard University in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. Which is, I believe, and you can't tell me no different, I could be biased, whatever, but it's the protest capital of the world. Uh, when you come for orientation, you get a syllabus and a Sharpie and a, <laughs> and a poster board. Like, they, you got to be ready, but your consciousness is really that high. Yeah, absolutely. How many, how many protests did you do while you were at Howard? Um, probably two or three. We had one, a black man who was killed in um, Virginia or Northern Virginia, um, when I was at Howard University, he was basically, um, the police, I guess, thought he had done something or thought he fit the description. And they literally followed him to his house, chased him down to his driveway and shot him dead in his driveway. Um, and we literally marched from Howard University spontaneously down to the Department of Justice um, to protest. And that was like my first time ever participating in something like that. Then you was that the one where you were like walking the hills? I definitely had not <laughs> known that we were going to protest that day. Did not know it was coming, and had thought I was going to look cute in class. And so I had platform hills that were like this high. <laughs> um, but I'm down for the cause, so they're like, you know what, we're going to go protest. And I'm like, let's do it. Let's go protest. And I literally walked from the Howard University campus up on the hill all the way to the Department of Justice, which is very close to the White House, (laughs) in Platform Hills. And let me tell you something, my feet hurt so bad. (laughs) I literally walked to the Metro barefoot from the Department of Justice. You ain't wore heels since. I really don't wear heels at all now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was my first experience. You 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 sacrificed your feet for the movement. Absolutely. But even then, we were protesting the same thing. Um, an unarmed man being black man being shot by the police in his driveway. And yeah. that was night that was what, nineteen ninety nine? Ninety ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah. So Yeah. Um, uh so let's let's get to the to the solution part. Yeah. Let's be solutionist. Yes. If you will. Um let's start off by saying rest in peace to George Floyd. Absolutely. Rest in peace to Armand Arbery. Rest in peace to Brianna Taylor. Mm-hmm. 
let's not forget the black woman victims, the black LGBT victims who are also a part of this uh, systematic oppression. Uh, I am going to actually also say, uh, thankfully it's not a rest in peace, but I also want to include Amy Cooper in this conversation because what she did, she knew what she was doing, in my opinion. Allegedly. That's how you stop from getting sued. You got to say allegedly. Mm -hmm. And uh, she tried to falsely accuse this black man of attacking her and tried to set up a situation that would have ended up like the other names that are hashtags. So, you know, attempted murder is what it's called on this podcast. Um, So let's get to it. I want to start off the conversation of like, what do we do? How do we mobilize? The thing I want to say first is everybody is going to have an opinion because everybody, the eyes of the world are on Black Lives Matter right now. It is beautiful. We, I, listen, I have never seen so many white people canceled in one week. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, let me tell you something. If you're a racist, now is not the time. You got to you gotta get it. off of social media. You got to, you got to, you got to. It's not your moment. You got to find a secret <laughs> Facebook group to be it's racist in Because this ain't it This is not your moment All the racists wanna, out there Just stop If you want to keep your job Just stop Did we create black privilege? I think I wouldn't go that far <laughs> Almost? Nah, let's not go that far the, But the, I do think People's mouths Of racism Are starting to Get them in trouble And I'm not one for Hatred or revenge But I am one for petty So if you <laughs> You know If you <laughs> jump and you got something to say, you know, then if they find your employer and your address, let it be what it is. You know, you just got to learn the lesson. Knowing that you have the power to retweet something or find somebody's name and get them fired, this must be how white women feel when they call the manager. It's a Or be- when they write I, a letter. It's like black Twitter is the equivalent. I get it now. Oh I understand God. why they have That's so much fun doing it. Listen. Black Twitter is the equivalent of white women writing letters. Black people got to be white women or for a week, you, and it has been beautiful. Reporting you to to HR to your boss because <laughs> they don't like something you said. Hide your kids, hide your wife. Come on now. Black Lives Matter is killing everybody's jobs we come, out we here. We coming for you if you got some racist to say. Yeah, mildly racist, lightly racist. We coming. A sprinkle of racism. We coming. Salt and pepper. We in there. We you coming. Better, you better donate to our cause. <laughs> Nike give fifteen. <laughs> Reebok. We at Skechers. I don't see Skechers giving nothing. That's why we we ain't no more Skechers, black people. We ain't getting no. Listen, black people, old black people, and old black nurses at Kojic churches have been supporting Skechers for forty years, <laughs> and we have heard. I've not seen nothing. their. I've not seen their statement. Huh? You no, know, I haven't seen this. We statement. at Puma. We we buy Pumas. <laughs> but let me just say, if you're a racist, my suggestion to you would just be to cancel all your accounts now. Do it now. Here's the thing I don't understand or about being racist. Or even been racist. Not, yeah. How, how, how strong is racism that you can't stop being racist for a month? Literally. Just let it, just, if you, if you could just not be racist for a month mm-hmm. and let us get justice. Right. Just pause. Or a year. It may take a year, but just, just, shh. Jimmy Choo, somebody, Jimmy Choo, all these, all these, all The these. owner of Second City got canceled. I'm telling you, it's a it's a, it's a travesty. Yeah, just stop being racist for a, a little while so that we can. But you, you know what? You're getting I, caught in the current. I appreciate it though because you know what? This is called a word that I love. One of my favorite words in the English language. It's called accountability. You can't. You got. You right. You have First Amendment free speech rights. You can say what you want, but please understand: in this day and age, the things you say, you will be held accountable for. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Seeing all of the companies having to come out and make a stance on Black Lives Matter, the NFL had to come and say something. Mm-hmm. Eating crow because they, you know, have have been on the wrong side of history. They said we That's were the wrong. thing I was gonna say. Don't be on the wrong side of history. Yeah, this is like a moment in history, right? Like, don't be on the wrong side, man. Don't look back twenty years and realize, you know, you should have been supporting Martin Luther King and you were supporting George Wallace. Don't do it. Yeah. The NFL needs to apologize to Cap formally. Yes. Come out and apologize. Absolutely. You see, Drew Brees got caught up. Oh, Did I you saw see that? Drew Brees. <laughs> all these just be quiet. Good old boys that, that have been be you quiet. Know, able to slide on by. I mean, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying don't talk. 
We need the conversation. I'm just saying, like, come on now. Come on. Don't, Don't why, just, you, why, why y'all volunteering to get canceled? Right. And we all know the things right now that are going to get you canceled. All Lives Matters will get you canceled. 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 Done. Um, what else? Saying that, you know, canceling the whole... The flag. If you say anything about the flag... We don't want to hear anything about the flag right now. We get it. Patriotism, we don't want to hear it. We get it. We don't want to hear it. We get the flag. We did not need for the flag. We did not need for the flag. Wasn't about the flag. We don't want to hear about the flag. Betsy Ross, we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to hear about the anthem. We don't care. The only need that could have been for the flag is the officer. There you go. The officer may have been the only one who need for the flag, which yeah. says a lot about the flag. And yeah, we don't want to hear about any of that right now. So, you know, we should make a list of top 10 things that you can say that will get you canceled. The canceled list. The canceled list, because there's a whole list. It's all on Facebook right now, y'all. Y'all just falling for it. <laughs> so I think that has been a form of activism. Maybe people don't see it as a form of activism, but I actually think holding people accountable for their words um, particularly when their words are hurtful to others and cause pain. I think that's a form of... I'm going to tell you something I'll add to the list that is not on the list yet. Y'all, if y'all don't stop misquoting Dr. King, I promise y'all, I, I, I may hit y'all with the Bible that Trump posed with. I, <laughs> why are y'all misquoting this man and treat... All right, look, all right, let's just get this out once and for all. Dr. King did not advocate for people being inactive when it came to civil rights. Yeah. Dr. King was not an inactive figure. So saying things like, oh, you know, let's just love everybody and posting pictures of black babies and white babies. That's lovely and beautiful. And we know that Dr. King stood for love. Absolutely. But he also stood for protesting, hence the March on Washington. Hence the um, the Selma Bridge March in Selma, Alabama. Hence all the times he got arrested. So please don't use Martin Luther King as a bludgeon of um, telling us we shouldn't be doing anything and we should just be loving because he used his action to show how much he loved. Dr. King had a peaceful approach to fighting justice. If you only focus on the peace and not the approach of what he was fighting against, then you miss what he really stood for. And you pervert what he stood for. You don't just miss it. You pervert it. You make it into something that it was not. To ignore the injustice that Dr. King was strategizing against is to say that he stood for inactivity. And that is just wrong. It is... Yo, if y'all don't stop using this man... Because what a lot of people are doing, to be honest, they're trying to use Dr. King's words as a as a way to pacify black people into racial apathy. And, and yes, and as a way to pretend that they understand or to pacify themselves. So if I post up a Martin Luther King quote, then that means, you know, I'm really ha- I'm good. I'm a good I'm a good person. I'm a good white person. No. Is the only no. is the only sermon y'all heard of Dr. King I have a dream? Hello. He got other speeches. Hello. He woke up from that dream and said other things. He didn't go to sleep. That wasn't his first speech. It wasn't his last one. That's one speech. Absolutely. And he also said the writing was the voice of the unheard. Y'all don't quote that. So if you're gonna if you're gonna take one Where side. Where you at, Ted? <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> James Brown in the in the one James, James Brown YouTube Brown. video. You gotta, Just look it up. You gotta say, you know, you have to present the whole picture. And if you are gonna present half of the picture, I'm gonna call you on it. You gotta present the whole picture. And I'm not saying, uh, again, this is not a point of like trying to inflict guilt on people. I'm just saying Dr. King was such a central figure in the black community that to make everything he stood for about peace and ignoring that he was moving in the direction of peace against a resistance of white supremacy. And violence. (laughs) Is to ignore the undercurrent that the thing that he was fighting continues to exist today. These are peaceful approaches. There's no Malcolm X or Martin Luther King. These are two different approaches towards the same solution, which is ending an oppressive society Mm -hmm. for people of color 
And I'm the people of color thing is a whole nother topic. Mm-hmm. We got to get to it. Because we're thing. not all, we are all people of color, but, but within uh, that, there's you know, different situations. Listen, it's a lot going on. We, we, we're not even going to talk about it. Yeah, we, that's a, that's let's another just, let's topic. Let's just be together today. So, so, so we were talking about solutions. Yeah, let, know, all right. What, so let's, let's get to the solutions. Yep. I want to start here because I think we had a really good conversation because we've, we've been in the DMs talking to people of all colors and creeds and What's the difference between color and creed? I don't know. Oh, belief. Like belief. I think it's okay. Like then great. Colors, colors and creeds, and <laughs> and uh, you know, Facebook is a divisive thing. Listen, there's no understanding to be had in a comment section. That is my opinion. These are these are all my opinions. It's really hard to find understanding. You really go to social media to connect with the people who agree with you. People who disagree with you, it's often really hard to find understanding in a comment section. There's no, there's no face-to-face. There's no, there's no sense of understanding. There's no establishing respect. It's just my opinion, your opinion, my opinion, your opinion, my opinion, your opinion. Mm-hmm. Which is why when people try to find understanding on social media, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, Clark Jameson, who's really good, like our little sister, we love her um, with all of our heart. Uh, she made a post and I think what she did was really great. She, she invited people to have a private conversation with her if they disagreed. And it really inspired me to have this thought, which, I, which I'm going to start with my solution with. Mm-hmm. This is my opinion. This, mm-hmm. you, this may get me canceled from all of y'all. Yep. Um, but here's, this is my opinion. And I'll stick with it. There is, in my opinion, a difference between being ignorant and being racist. In my opinion, mm-hmm. there's a difference between being ignorant and being racist. Um, I don't want, I choose not to paint everyone in the same way. Mm-hmm. Having seen all of the allies and people who came out to protest, it really inspired something in me that there needs to be a difference. There's a difference between people who abuse their white privilege or do their best to act like it doesn't exist and those who simply don't know. Mm-hmm. Those who simply are becoming aware of what their privilege means by learning the deficits of those who don't have that privilege. Mm-hmm. People who don't know about white privilege think to themselves, well, what do I get as a result of my privilege? And sometimes seeing the deficit of people who don't get that privilege help them understand what their privilege is. Mm-hmm. I say that because I don't, people who are obviously racist and don't want to engage at all or they're just here, um, I get why those conversations don't continue. Like, I completely understand. But I want to dedicate myself, and let me know if you agree or how you feel about it, but I want to dedicate myself to being able to engage and have conversations with people who can be ignorant or want to learn. Here's the difference between ignorant and racism. If you want to learn, if you are genuinely willing to have a conversation, I don't care how small of a demographic that is, my heart will always be open to people who are willing to learn, willing to have the conversation, willing to have all of their biases and their predispositions cleared. Yes. That to me is the difference between someone who may be just ignorant. And ignorant sounds like a strong word, but I mean, when I say ignorant, I just mean somebody who doesn't know. Yeah. And someone who is racist. That means I have learned a behavior. I, I believe something and I'm nothing's going to shake me from that belief. I'm not in disagreement with that. I think the other piece in, in terms of what makes me be open is there's a sense of humility. Yeah. And I think that for me is where I think some white people who may be truly ignorant. Or black people. Or black people, but we're talking about white people right now. Yeah. That they, that often, sometimes where the problem comes in is there is a lack of humility in the approach to the conversation, right? Like, to the extent that you don't know, that should cause there to be a humility to hear and to understand, right? And that's a part of what I think I struggle with and I think others struggle with is wanting to see that sense of, um, from folks who who say they still want to learn and they want to understand the only way you can say those words is if you're coming from a place of humility. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I say, okay, this is not a person who 
is trying to be racist. This is a person who really just needs to to hear and learn more. Yeah, we've had a we've had a bunch of conversations privately with people who would naturally like if you post Black Lives Matter, they would say why well don't all lives matter? And based on last week, it's been like, all right, everybody get them. Which <laughs> yeah, I ain't gonna lie, it's kind of fun to see. But uh <laughs> but we've had a lot of conversations with people who are like, um, what's wrong with saying all lives matter? And we've genuinely had those conversations. I think a part of the bridge of moving forward and creating the racial harmony that we want to see is making sure that we embrace the ignorant and don't paint them as racist. Uh, I, I, I think I just... I think it's just really super important to make sure that those people have... Like the same way I feel like all the great, the best churches have a process for, com- for taking someone or helping someone who's a new convert, someone who just gave their life to Christ, through the process of discipleship. And I think I I don't want to make it to where black people are the ones responsible for ending racism. Because I know that's like the thing. Like, why do we have to do it? Why don't they do it? I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are people out there who genuinely want to have the conversation. To be honest, and I applaud these people, there are people in, in their families who are the first ones to even acknowledge racism. There are people who've been posting like, you know, my parents aren't talking to me anymore. I just got kicked out of my place because my parents, you know, I went out and protested for Black Lives Matter. Now my parents don't want to talk to me anymore. It's like there there are people who genuinely do not understand. And what are we going to do with the people who do not understand? There has to be something for the doubting Thomases of the white community. Yeah. And what I would say is like... um Nelson Mandela, when he was in the process of trying to um, end apartheid and and fighting to end apartheid, and when he eventually became president of that country, one of the things that he believed and espoused was that the only way to move forward from a racist society and a society that was steeped in racial oppression was to indict the system, right? Because the reality is, and this is just a perspective that may help some Black people, not give white people a pass. I'm not for that. But to see through the eyes of compassion those who are truly just ignorant. He said, at the end of the day, it's the system that should be indicted because just like Black people are born into a system that teaches us that we are devalued and that systematically oppresses us, white people are born into a system that teaches them that they are more valued and that they are privileged and all of the things that we know to be true, right? And so just as it's not our fault that we're born into the system that we're born into, it's not necessarily their fault that they're born into the system that they're born into. It is their fault if they stay that way (laughs) and if they perpetuate that, right? But sometimes seeing it through that lens that they have been brainwashed in many ways from children to believe and to see the world the way that they see the world. And sometimes it requires someone disrupting that brainwash and being willing to sort of lay yourself down on the line to challenge that viewpoint and that perspective to help people break out of what the system has taught them to be. Absolutely. Ignorant people get taught. Racist people get canceled. At the end of the day, are people born racist? Are white people inherently born racist? I don't personally believe so. So I have to believe they don't have to die racist either or ignorant. This idea of like supporting and being there or not supporting, but being willing to engage in conversation with white people who want to learn is one way, one solution, right? We need people who are Black Lives Matters leaders, who are on the front lines, who are protesting, who are engaging, who are getting put in jail and arrested because they're fighting for that cause. We need those people and we need to support those people, right? But there's many different ways to have an impact, right? And for those who don't want to be protesting because that's not your thing or you don't feel comfortable, then you got to find other ways to engage, whether it be to help teach an ignorant white person or whether it be to do some of the many other things, engage in your local government, you know, vote. Everybody should be voting. There's so many different ways to get involved and to get active. And the point is you've got to do something. Yeah. Not necessarily my thing, but you got to do something. It's going to look different, but we cannot fight over the way, the how. 
if we agree on the what and the why, we don't have to agree on the how. It's going to look different for everybody. We're going to need people in the boardrooms. We're going to need people in the governor's chamber. Absolutely. Governors have a chamber. I don't know. Uh, We're going to need people in (laughs) In the the Senate. Senate. We need people teaching kids. We need the Kanye's who don't say nothing and just give $2 million. Yes. We need those people. And then we need the faces of the movement. Yes. We need both. It's not and or. Like Pastor Cheney, I think that's a message that we both love. Shout out to Pastor Wayne Cheney, Antioch Church of Long Beach, California. But he had a message about Moses. Like, you know, the famous scripture where they held Moses' hand up and it was a promise that as long as he had his hand up, the soldiers would win the war and the battle. And he made the analogy that we need the Moses on the mountain and we also need the soldiers on the ground. Absolutely. And that's the truth. And one is not more value than the other. They're both needed. They're both essential to victory. And there may be some who don't have the grace to engage with ignorant white people and to teach them. And that's okay, too. Yeah, some of y'all... You're we, not the one. You're, we need y'all in the back. Yeah, we don't need you. Some of y'all just be like, ah! Like, nah, fam. You we, may not be the one not to, this time. to not. be the teacher of the ignorant white folks. And that's okay. That's not your calling. Listen, maybe it's me, but the last three days, I've seen nothing but white protesters getting beat up. And you know what? Again... Thank you. Appreciate you. Everybody has a role to play. That's true even for our allies. They have a role to play, too. Hey, them police said... Black lives may not matter, but all protesters do. We beating up. <laughs> they act like they can't tell the difference in skin color. You see, they push that white dude over. Which was so insane. Yeah, like, why are you pushing an old man over? Hatred and fear and will do... Then the two cops got in trouble. They said over 50 cops or 70 cops, something like 57 that. 57 cops resigned. Resigned. From that division of the police department. Because the guys got in trouble or recognized for not... Like, what? There's something very interesting in that video. If you're watching, I want you to take a look at this. When the police officer pushes the guy over, he falls on the ground, he hits his head, and he starts bleeding. There's a police officer that instinctively goes down to help him. And another cop picks him up and tells him to keep marching. That is the issue. His humanity took over, and someone, I guess a higher ranking or someone on his level, encouraged him to not be a human and to continue being a police officer. That is the problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so solutions. What do we do? You want me to start? You want to start? Oh, I thought we were already talking about it. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I was just I was just framing the idea of ignorant versus racism. A lot of times change happens in proximity. That the closer we can get to people, the more we can help. And if we just push people away and just label them as racist, we can lose people who can be taught. I guess that's what would be considered a solution. Yeah, that's what I mean. I see that as a solution. With that being said, There's a new podcast coming out that Tiffany will be talking about at some point, maybe the next episode or two. But we're going to do our thing and put our words into action with some cool stuff going down. We want to lock some stuff in before we do that. But just look out for that next podcast, maybe two or three episodes after that, we'll make an announcement on what that is. But there's a new podcast coming that Tiffany is doing. So what are the solutions? Let's talk the next solution. Local government. Now, I'll be honest. Y'all know me. I am honest and real. So I'll be real with you. I had no, I won't say no, but I had very little interest in local government. I did not care at all. I was the guy, when we went into the voting booth, I would vote for president, I would vote for vice president, and then I would treat the rest of the tests like a Scantron that I had not studied for. (laughs) It was C, 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 B, B, B. Mostly D, though. Democrat, Democrat, Democrat. Oh, okay, then. D, 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 D. (laughs) And then I would try to pick the blackest name. So it would be like Jim... Berdonowitz, and then it'll be like Latasha Green. I'm like, okay. <laughs> obviously, I would like try to Google it real fast, but Latasha obviously is closer to probably my voting strategy. Mm-hmm. But this has really inspired a love for local government. I think one thing that would be really, really cool is if we found a way to include some local government training. I don't know if it's something that churches want to do, but there have to be some local organizations that can make it accessible for people to understand not just what is happening in their community, but the voting strategies and the history of the people who they're voting for, the mayors, your governors, your senators, your congressmen, the people who actually you can mail. The Trump is like the figure that we're all going at right now. But some of our mayors are little Trumps. Some of our governors are little Trumps. Some of our congressmen are little Trumps. Some of our aldermen, aldermen? City council. Council people. You know, a lot of big cities have, Los Angeles has a police commission that monitors what happens 
with the LA Police Department and they have a meeting every week. And uh, one of the ways that we've been active in Los Angeles is joining those commission meetings and advocating and having our voice heard around that. There was a huge protest at the mayor's house last week that led to some key changes that the Black Lives Matters movement was advocating for. So there's a lot that we blame on the federal government because we don't have an understanding of actually where decisions are made. And often some of the day-to-day decisions that impact your life have nothing to do with the federal government. When you think about cameras, red light cameras, and how speeding cameras and all of that have been attacks on poor Black people, that doesn't happen at the federal government level. That happens at the local government level, right? Like, when you think about the ways in which school funding oftentimes is distributed or used, that is a local decision, school board decision, right? So there's a lot of things that happen at the local level. And if you are only engaged on the federal level, you're going to be experiencing pain and oppression. And you're going to be looking at, you know, Donald Trump and your senators for why that's happening. And it has nothing to do with them. So I think this has been a huge lesson and opportunity for folks who care about the cause to learn how to engage in ways that can be more effective than just the federal government. Do school board presidents get voted in? It depends on the city. Often they're appointed. Some are elected. It depends on the city and it depends on the city or the locality, wherever it is. Oftentimes they're appointed. It just depends. So you can research who your school board president is and they can really affect what happens in your children's school. Absolutely. Oftentimes the school board is responsible for selecting and appointing the superintendent of schools. And the superintendent of schools is the one who makes all the decisions in terms of what your children learn in classroom, in terms of the schedule that your students have. They are the ones who are... After school program? everything. The superintendent of schools is like the CEO of your school system. So if you're not engaged with what's happening on your local school board and you're wondering why things are not changing, right? You talk about activism, that's a place to get active. And so there's so much that we could be doing in our society that I believe we're called, especially if you consider yourself to be a Christian, we're called to engage in if we want to have influence over what happens. I agree. Everything we said sounds kind of passive in theory. I guess you can interpret it that way, but Everybody has to do something. You have to. What cannot happen is we come out of this just pacified into going back to life as normal. We do not want life as normal. Something has to change. And this feels different somehow. This doesn't feel like the other times that this has happened. Absolutely. I feel like it's penetrated hearts in a way that have not been penetrated in the past. I also think it's opened a window or a door to people's hearts that were previously completely closed. I've seen it even in my own I work at a school district and even in my own organization, I've seen people's hearts just be open to things, conversations, actions, statements that they weren't open to before. And so it really is our chance to seize the moment to push for change. I've been seeing in the comments, man, everybody is just saying you got to vote, got to vote, got to vote, got to vote. Absolutely. I agree. I'm just saying in terms of the knowledge of local government, it's not just voting, but being informed on exactly the platforms of the people you're voting for. Yes. I need to know what you fought for, not just what's on your slide, not what's on your PowerPoint presentation. I don't want you to come to my church one time because politicians good to come to oh, black church one that. good time. God is good all the time. Like, bro, we ain't say that since the 90s. We don't even say that no more. And they come to that church one time. We don't see them no more. Your judges are elected. Your district attorneys are elected. These are the people who are making decisions around how sentencing decisions, decisions around who to prosecute and who not to prosecute. So it's really critical that we know who these people are and that we vet them and that we don't just accept that because they have on the Democratic ticket that they're the right person. And it's also important that people get up and try to be in those positions. We voting for people who got MAGA hats on in their profile pictures. And we don't even realize it. And they can sell you on a whole bunch of stuff. But so I want to ask you this because this is something that you would know. What do you think we can do about the relationship between the black church and the evangelical church? I struggle with this because I grew up in the evangelical church from a small child to probably I was about 16 years old, almost 16. So I understand it in a way that maybe other Black people who did not grow up in that tradition or grew up in more of a traditional Black church may not really get. I am truly at a point where I believe unless and until there is some true humility, and I don't mean two things, humility. I don't mean humility as I love, I appreciate all the feet washing ceremonies. You know, all that is great. I'm not against any of that. However, um, there has to be humility in not having to be the one to come up with the solution. So, for example, 
you know, if I'm a white evangelical pastor or whatever, and I went, oh, racial reconciliation, whatever, let's do a feet washing ceremony. That is your take on how to solve somebody else's pain. I really believe that until white evangelicals position themselves in a place of humility to listen and hear what the people who are in pain need to solve and heal that pain and stop um, trying to come up with their own thoughts, their own solutions, their own perspectives on what needs to be done. I think that it will be very difficult to reconcile the white evangelical church with the black church. And then second, I think that the white evangelical church, to the extent that they have been continuing to support a man like Donald Trump, who is viscerally offensive and hurtful to people of color, the words that may be spoken, the words of reconciliation that may be spoken, the platitudes around love um, ring hollow and meaningless when in the same voice and in the same sentence you are posting and um, screaming about make America great again. So at some point, we always talk about being on the fence and lukewarm and Jesus spitting lukewarmness out of his mouth. If you can look me in my eye and tell me you support Donald Trump, doesn't mean you have to tell me you disrespect him. I understand biblically that we are to respect our elected leaders and pray for them. them. I can pray for him and still um, believe that he's wrong and still call his actions evil. So if you can't, you know, look me in my eye and support me in speaking against a president who has called black people hoodlums and thugs um, and, you know... And threatening us with the U.S. military. Said that he would shoot people (laughs) who are out there peacefully protesting and a man who has, um, you know, advocated for, you know, immigrants being placed in cages... And separated from their children, the very thing that that the Bible speaks against, treating foreigners badly. You can't look me in my eye and tell me that you support that and that you support his platform and also tell me you love me. It doesn't fly. And until white evangelicals understand that and can humble themselves to a place where they can hear that, you will always have discord in the church. Abortion and gay and gay marriage were are not the only agendas of Jesus. Come on. As a matter of fact, not one time did Jesus speak about gay marriage. And that doesn't mean that... that it doesn't mean that you can't stand you, doesn't for mean anything. You, right. It's but, just saying but, but you can't... Where are you emphasizing? Where are you placing the emphasis? Is you, it in the same place Jesus did? Is Is abortion and gay rights so important to you that you are willing to overlook overt racism? That's the real question. Like, on paper, on paper, can I say the N-word on my own podcast? On paper, Donald Trump is, is, is the nigga that people thought Barack Obama would be. Like, on paper. <laughs> <laughs> on paper, Donald Trump is Truly. like, was, was white people's greatest fear of Barack Obama. But somehow, and I really believe there's deception, there's deception and there's blindness over the minds and the eyes of many white evangelicals. And I don't believe that's true for all of them. You no. know, I look at a Beth Moore, I look at John Bevere, um, Natalie um, Grant. These people have spoken out. They've used their platforms to speak against um, evil. Um, and I think that is what we have to see from the white evangelical church to prove the love that they claim to have. You can't want to see me in heaven and then not want to see me on earth. And I I hope, and again, going back to the conversation of ignorant versus racist, this is an opportunity to come to the table and discuss the issues at a raw level. We can't come to the table and say, we got to do something about black people. If you're still going to walk away with bias Mm -hmm. in your heart, even if you're black, you can't walk away saying, watch everything that's happened and then be like, well, the looting has to stop and not address anything. Like, there has to be some level 
of understanding at the table to say, all right, this is what I believe. And I feel that I'm right, but I'm willing to have the conversation to be proven wrong. I've had people, and I never thought I would see this. I had people in my inbox this week after I put out the whole ignorant versus racism thing who said, I don't look at anything that Donald Trump has done as racist. Can you tell me why you think he is? Mm -hmm. And we had a discussion. And people have really walked away from the conversation saying, wow, Mm -hmm. I I could not have imagined that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but it's the truth. Some people genuinely do not know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For instance, I didn't know my wife could do (laughs) shape-ups. I mean, I can't as as we can, you know, you're getting there. But but I I do want to say one other thing. Um, you just gonna move on and go yes, back to I'm evangelicals? I, I want to say one other. Somebody thing. told me I look like a young Ike Turner, <laughs> and I didn't appreciate that at all. Let me just say, the, let me just say this: the other, the the other point, and somebody commented around this is white people, especially those who claim to be allies and want to be allies. Um, you have to let black people be the superhero of the story right now, and what I mean by that is. You cannot right now try to step into the place of being Batman and Superman for black people. I really believe your role is to play Robin. And I'm really going there with the the metaphors right now. But (laughs) your role is to play Robin and support black people being the superhero in their own story. In other words, what I'm saying is if you're an ally, then I really believe your role is to empower black people and to empower their voice, to empower their their needs, their, what they need in this movement, not to try to take over and do things in the way that you see fit and that what fits your agenda and your perspective, that is essentially white supremacy. That's what white supremacy does. That white savior, we need you to be everything and all. No, now is the time to allow, to be a support and to allow Black people to to rise up and have their voice be heard and and be the change. And you stand in support of that. I, I do think the front line, and we're going we're gonna to end this pretty soon because we've been on for an hour longer than we expected. <laughs> um, I do think, and we, yeah, we, I want to make sure Facebook and um, IG, I want to talk to you guys. If you're not following me, follow me at The Life of K-A-Y. We talk real stuff and laugh all the time. But I do think one of the frontline responsibilities of anyone, because there might be some people out there who are listening who are saying like, what do I do? How can I be a part? A part of it is being able to educate those close to you. Yes. If you are aware, even if you aren't enlightened or educated, that's fine. If you are aware that there is more to learn, then learn. If you are aware that there are people around you who may need to share in your awareness, try. It is the responsibility that I think we're taking, which is to say there are going to be people out there who don't want to listen. But for the people who do, we are going to create a platform where you can be heard, understood, and and we we will listen. Absolutely. We have we have to we don't have it all right every time either. You know, there has to be on both sides a, a level of humility. But and when we say listen, we mean if you say, hey, when you say Black Lives Matter, that offends me because it makes me feel like you don't believe all lives matter. We're not going to jump down your throat. Although, if you put it on Facebook, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Can't save you that, champ. Uh, <laughs> but, but we will listen and explain that the idea that Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement is really Black Lives don't matter. And that the belief is that Black Lives cannot matter in this country until women's lives matter and old lives matter and young lives matter and foreign lives matter and black lives matter. And, you know, the all lives matter movement really could be a powerful thing if they just took one cause at a time. Like if they started with black lives and then they went to women's rights and then they go to, like it could really be a powerful movement if they weren't rooted in white supremacy. But what I don't want to see or hear is blue lives matter. There's no such thing as a blue life. If you don't like being a cop, you don't like what comes with the with the role, the responsibility, take off the uniform and get another job. You're not a blue life. There's no such thing. To say that you're not a blue life is to say that you're separate from the society of black or all, which means 
maybe there the culture that we are saying exists that needs to come down is true if you can identify yourself as a different color than the rest of us. Right. If you think that blue wearing a uniform makes you in some way a different human, blue life, uh, elf, what do you call it? Not elf, smurf, then that leads me to question, you know. The smurfs? Yeah, blue life. That's the only blue lives oh, okay. I, I'm aware right, got you, got you, got of. Blue, that's the only blue lives I'm aware of. There's no such thing as a blue life. There, hmm. that, that doesn't exist. What else? Is, are there any other blue cartoons? I don't know, but that's the, that's the main one, you know. I'm with that. Yeah, Smurfs. So that's the only blue life Smurf I'm aware life of. Smurf life matters. So I believe <laughs> in, in supporting um, police officers who are non-racist, anti-racist, who choose to do the right thing. But let's not conflate being a police officer with a race. I'm glad you said that. So let's get to the final solutions. I really believe that police officers should be required to engage and or live in the community they are policing for at least a year before they're put on active duty. Absolutely. That is my opinion. It is one thing to be a police officer. It's another thing to be Mr. Dan from down the street. Really hard to uh, oppress people who have eaten at your dinner table. That's where community policing comes in. It's about you being a member of the community and ingratiating yourself to the community Um, that's the way that law enforcement should start. If the only time you come into Southeast D.C. is to arrest me, that's a problem. I don't need Gaithersburg residents coming to arrest me. I want you in Northeast or Southeast. I need you to be a part of my community. It should be an extension of the people, not extension of the system. It should be a middleman of both who can understand the law but understand the community not understand the law and just police the community. And what that means is we may need some of some of our black brothers and sisters um and we already have some of this but to those of us who are truly down for the cause to become police officers. You think you'll make a good police officer? Absolutely not. I don't have the patience, not at all. And you got to know that about yourself. If you have a bad temper, you should not be trying to be a you police have, officer. You have a bad temper? I don't think I have a bad temper, but I don't think I'm meant or called to be. You don't think you have the temperament for No, I do not. And you should for know law that. Enforcement. Just like the president doesn't have the temperament to be the president, yes. I don't have the temperament to be a police officer. He doesn't have the temperament no, to sir. be a Chipotle manager. <laughs> All right. Sorry. All right. In closing, um, I think something to think about for all of you out there. I know we've said a lot. I hope you agree. I haven't looked at the comments as much. We're going to move to Facebook Live in a second um, and IG. Um, if you haven't followed me at the Life of KAY, go subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, if I have not been canceled, have I been canceled? I can't tell through the comments. Have y'all canceled me? Am I done? Is my career done? Um, all right. So I want to say this. There has to be, um, I, I did a, a show with um, the Rollins. Shout out, Shakina, the Rollins. Uh, those Donnell's folks. And my folks too. I feel like a part of the family. Their mom, Joyce, is like one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. Shout out to them. Um, but th- we did a uh, Facebook Live um, this week. Um, and some amazing people on there. Amazing, amazing people on there. Um, and one thing that came out of that conversation is that there has to be a dedication to integrate. And integration doesn't mean that we are losing ourselves, losing our culture, devaluing our culture. But inclusion is the alternative. And inclusion says, I'm going to put you into what I'm doing. Integration says that you are who you are, but we're in it together. Does integration mean I'm going to start listening to country music and and hard rock? Not necessarily. But it does say, I don't need to dispel stereotypes because we grew up with you and we know they're not true. And I think that's the only way. Like, how many evangelical churches have it? I I do believe it's time for churches to stop being islands to themselves. There has to be some sort of inclusion. It's one thing to see your pastors hanging out on social media. It's another thing for us to sit together in the pews. Mm -hmm. And if we are able to integrate on a personal level, you and your neighbor, if we're able to integrate city and city, initiative to initiative, 
I, I believe our country will change. I think the idea of inclusion is that I'm going to put you in what I'm doing to show a different image. And I don't think we need images. I think we need change at a systematic level. And I think that includes saying, let's build something together versus let's take a picture together and be seen together so other people can see it. Absolutely. I think there's a place for, I think there's a need at all times, at least as long as we're under a, uh, a racist system, which I believe we're trying to and we need to continue to dismantle. As long as we're under that system, I believe there's a place that where we need to push for um, there to be that integration so that folks who are ignorant can have exposure. And I also think there's a need to preserve Black-only spaces at the same exact time so that there's a place of refuge. So HBCUs, um, other, you know, our sororities, there's other places where Black people can get together and affirm each other. And I think that needs to be preserved. Um, but I also think if we only stay with each other ever, um, then we will not have the opportunity to influence um, those who can be influenced. So. I'll end with this. I was had a conversation with a teacher this week who is in Maine. Um, if you're listening, shout out to you. And she said that she teaches in a place where she feels very led by the idea of multiculturalism, by the plight of African-Americans and other people of culture and different ethnicities and value systems in this country. But she teaches in an area that is very set in their ways, I'll say. And it's something that she has to fight against a lot. And she says she didn't know what to do. And after our conversation, we actually, she actually asked me for a list of books that she can read to her students and one thing that she said that would be a good idea is if she actually created a Zoom or pen pal type of a relationship with a teacher uh, in a classroom of color where every week or every month they do projects together and write each other and Zoom with each other just so they can see they can grow up with kids who are exactly like them. And if we can do that on that level, if we can do it person to person, if we can do it school to school, teacher to teacher, school district to school district, city to city, faith to faith, imagine what our kids won't have to go through that we're going through now. So, uh, with that being said, thank you for tuning into the life of. If you have not already, please, 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 please comment, rate, and subscribe. I just want everybody to know Generational Curse Breaker hoodies are coming out. Limited edition Generational Curse Breaker hoodies are coming out. Um, in the fall Let me know Since the summer's canceled Might as well get ready For the fall Right <laughs> <laughs> um, Hope y'all are being Safe and wise out there Appreciate y'all Thank you for tuning in If you have not already Please follow me On social media At the life of K-A-Y Follow me on This po- Follow, subscribe Comment, rate, subscribe On this podcast It don't cost you nothing Just go ahead and do it Comment, rate, and subscribe If you are watching me If you're listening right now Comment, rate, and subscribe You can do it right now It don't cost you nothing Just comment, rate, and subscribe. Just hit the quick button. We on our way. So appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. We love y'all. And uh, remember, regardless of what your story has been, remember someone needs to hear it. And the pen is always in your hand, so you always have time to write it. We love y'all. Later.